The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Grab your Bible app and turn to the book of Exodus, the third chapter. The third chapter of the book of Exodus is where we're going to be this morning, reading a somewhat familiar story and hopefully see some new things. So Sarah's going to come and read for us. Uh, let's pray real quickly, and Sarah's going to read our passage. So let's ask God to come help us this morning. Heavenly Father, we help us. We ask that you would help us this morning to rejoice in you, to say with David, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. Lord, we ask as we open your word this morning, your spirit would continue to work in us. He has already been at work. He is already here with us, guiding our service. And we ask now that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Exodus 2.23 through 3.15 says, during those days, sorry, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horab, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this, to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place for which you are, on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and to place them into the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel came to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you, might, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. It has been, for it's been 400 years since our ancestors first came to Egypt. 400 years ago, we were favored immigrants. We were we were shepherds respected by the Egyptians, living in the best part of the land. Now, now our fathers are dying young from brutal working conditions. Our mothers are worried that their children are going to be kidnapped and murdered. Our grandparents used to tell us stories, stories about their grandparents, people named Abraham, named Isaac, named Jacob. Supposedly, some God promised them that they would live in a land of their own someday. Maybe whoever that God was, just forgot about us. It's been 400 years. Or maybe he's not strong enough to help us after all. I mean, occasionally, some people who claim to follow this God have good things happen to them. There were those two midwives who followed God instead of the king, and they got families of their own. Things worked out for them. And then one couple got lucky and had their son rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, what are the odds of that happening? But there are millions of us in Egypt crying out, to God. Why aren't things getting any better for us? What is going on? Maybe those stories about God giving Abraham's descendants some big land to live in were just, I don't know, wishful thinking. It sure doesn't seem like this God, whoever he is, is living up to his end of the bargain. So why should we keep calling out to him? Why should we keep trying to follow him? Where can we find any hope in this situation? Well, here we are today, several thousand years in time after this story happened, and it did happen. And we're not really different than these people in Israel, are we? Just like them, we look at our lives, and we look at God, and we have to decide, are we going to trust him or not? Whether to listen when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. So maybe you're here this morning, you don't trust anyone because you've been let down too many times in life, and it's just too hard to trust someone. Maybe you wonder, can I really bet my whole life on following Jesus? Can I really make that commitment? If you're like me, maybe the idea of trusting God with your life instead of trying to control it yourself makes you really afraid. Maybe you're new to the idea of religion and Christianity. Maybe this is all new stuff to you and you're, you're trusting yourself to navigate through life right now. No matter where we find ourselves today, let down, fearful, self-sufficient, God wants to use this passage to help us answer the question, can I really trust God? If I follow him, if I spend my whole life walking with Jesus, will it work out in the end? Our word from God today is going to answer that question. God is going to use this passage to reveal himself to us as our covenant-keeping God. Our covenant-keeping God. I asked Sarah to begin reading at the end of chapter two because that's where this story really begins. The chapter breaks are unfortunate. Exodus chapter two, verse 24. Look at it with me. What does it say? And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Rick mentioned this a little bit last week. This doesn't mean that God had forgotten about his covenant. Like I sometimes tell my kids, we're going to go to Chick-fil-A or go get Boba tea, and it completely slips my mind. That's not what this means. What it means is that it was time for God to act on his covenant. So I keep using that word covenant. 
What does it mean? One catechism defines a covenant as a relationship that God guarantees by his word. Did you catch that? Let me say it again. A covenant is a relationship that God establishes with us and guarantees it by his word. Okay, so two words. I'll shorten that down. A covenant is a guaranteed relationship. Okay, so now that we know what a covenant is, let's dive into Exodus chapter 3. Let's look at the beginning of the chapter when God remembers his covenant by speaking to Moses. God remembers his covenant by speaking to Moses. In verse 1, now Moses, he was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and both the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Just another day for Moses, doing what he'd been doing for 40 years, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep, wandering around the desert. And after 40 years in the desert, I'm fairly sure he has seen a lot of bushes on fire. Um, Now, he'd never seen one that didn't burn up at all. So he goes over to see what's going on. Um, I'm not sure I'd have been as curious at Moses. That seems a little strange to me. Um, But he walked over to see why the bush wasn't burning to the ground. And then something even stranger happened. The bush called his name. (laughs) Look at verse four and five with me. Exodus chapter three, verse four. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place you are standing is holy ground. Verse two told us already that there was a person in the flame of fire, the messenger of the Lord. Now, verse four tells us who that messenger is. It's God himself talking to Moses. And he warns Moses, stop, do not come any closer. This is holy ground. Again, I'm not sure why Moses would have kept walking towards a bush that was calling his name, but apparently he did, so God stops him, prevents him from walking into his own destruction, and then God finally does something that gets Moses to respond appropriately to what is going on here. He identifies exactly who he is. In verse 6, God tells Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I realize this is a hard illustration for those of us who have grown, spent a lot of time in San Diego, but I'm going to try it anyway. Have you ever been around a thunderstorm? (laughs) A thunderstorm. It's this time when rain comes out of the sky. We get them here occasionally. Sometimes when that storm's path is going right overhead, the lightning and the thunder happen almost at the same time. And it's this huge flash and a bang all at once. And if that's ever happened to you, what do you do when that happens? You are under the covers, man. Like you are not looking around. You're hoping it didn't hit your house and catch it on fire, right? That's what Moses is doing here when God speaks to him and tells him who he is. Moses hid his face because he was afraid. He finally recognized who it was that was confronting him, and he responded appropriately with respectful fear and posture. In this fire that burned but didn't burn up the bush, 
God showed Moses who he was before he told him who he was. He demonstrated, he showed Moses who he was before he told him his name. He showed Moses that he was holy, unapproachable, self-sustaining. He governs the very laws of creation and suspends them when it serves his purpose, like keeping the fire from consuming the bush. This person talking to Moses was unlike anybody Moses had ever experienced before, and it filled him with appropriate fear. Now, do you ever find yourself wishing you could have a burning bush experience? Maybe if you could just hear God's voice more clearly or see his power made visible, it would be a lot easier to trust him. It'd be a lot easier to follow him. Let me tell you another story that I hope will help with that that interestingly takes place after another 400 years of God being gone from his people. And it happens on another mountain. Matthew's account of Jesus' life tells us one day Jesus took three of his disciples up this mountain to pray. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts glowing, brilliant, white. He's shining as bright as the sun. There's another voice that calls out, not from a bush this time, but from the clouds. It says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. How do these followers of Jesus respond? Matthew tells us they fell on their faces. They were terrified. It sounds just like Exodus 3, doesn't it? And it's meant to. The same God who spoke to Moses has spoken to us through his son. If I want to have a burning bush experience, or if I want to hear God's voice clearly, I don't have to go to the desert. I don't have to have some mystical experience. I just have to pick up this book. This is important, okay? In the Bible, we hear the very voice of God speaking to us. And as we read the Gospels, the four accounts of Jesus' life here on earth, we hear God speak through one who is his very representative here on earth. I do think we have to ask, though, what was this God doing talking to Moses? This holy God that Moses wasn't allowed to approach, whose very name made Moses hide his face, what did he want with this guy? Well, let's find out starting in verse 7. Verse 7 begins to tell us that God remembers his covenant by saving his people. God's going to remember his covenant by saving his people. Look at verse 7, please, with me. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land. Then skip down to verse 10. He tells Moses, come, I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. We started earlier and I said that our story really begins in chapter two with God remembering his covenant. And that's actually not quite right. It begins almost 600 years before this with another old man named Abraham asking God, how can I know that you'll keep your promise to me? This seems to be a, a theme we see through the Bible. It's, it's hard for us to trust in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. Remember that, that guaranteed relationship we talked about? God does that with this guy named Abram. He said, to your offspring, I give this land. 
from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, and he lists off a bunch of other tribes. What's God telling Moses here in Exodus chapter three? He's saying, I'm here to keep my promise. He's saying, this is the covenant that I'm acting to fulfill. He lists these nations off to connect this time with that promise made 600 years before. He said, Moses, it's time now. Now, maybe you don't remember the details of the promises I made centuries ago, but I do. I planned this moment. I planned this encounter. I planned this story. And now I'm making good on my promise. I have remembered my covenant and I'm here to save my people. Do you hear the personal language that God uses here? I mean, there's this incredible juxtaposition in this passage where got Moses hiding his face in fear on one hand, but then God says, I've come to remember my people. Look at verse seven again with me. Look at what God says about himself. This is such tender language. I have seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them. Rick said this really well last week and I want to say it again today. God sees your suffering. God cares about you. God cares about oppression and injustice. He cares about hurt and pain. There is, though, there is something else that God cares about more than human injustice and oppression, as, as horrible as those are. You see, the, the people of Israel in their situation in Egypt are just a picture. They're, they're, they're a symbol for us of how the entire human race is actually living. In Egypt, the Israelites were slaves to cruel, uncaring masters who made their lives miserable and bitter, and who would never have let them go on their own. I realize this, this isn't obvious to us here this morning, but do you know that every human on earth, me, you, is just like those Israelites? We start our lives as slaves to a cruel, uncaring master called sin. This master makes our lives miserable and bitter. Not right away, not necessarily in obvious ways. We don't live always miserably and bitter like having to struggle to make bricks and build pyramids. But as Jesus told his audience one day, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the apostle Paul reminds us in his letter to the Romans that the wages of sin is death. Unless something changes for us when we come to the end of our lives and go to collect our paycheck from our master, all we will get is death. And like the Israelites, we do not have the strength to free ourselves from this slavery, to get away from this terrible master whose reward is death. Thankfully for us, it wasn't just in Exodus that God saw the suffering of his people and came down to save them. Listen to these words from Jesus, and I'm, I'm combining some verses from John's gospel as well as Mark's, but listen to Jesus' voice. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth in human form 
became like his people to give up his life as a ransom, the payment that freed a slave for many, for us. If you're here, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, God's word to Moses is God's word to you. I have come down to deliver you. If you will believe me, trust me, follow me. If you are a believer in Jesus, this is what has already happened to you. God has seen your affliction. God has heard your cry. God, through his son, Jesus, has delivered you. You feeling any hope yet? You feeling trust in God grow, maybe just even not just a little bit? I hope that you're starting to understand why this story from Exodus from so long ago is so necessary for us today. How God means to give us hope and help right now, no matter what we're going through. Now, you might wonder how, can I really have hope? I mean, this sounds too good to be true. And we all know how that goes with advertisements, right? If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, all right? Moses had that same doubt when he heard this message from God. In the last section of our passage today, we're gonna learn that God's name guarantees his covenant. God's name that he expressed to Moses guarantees his relationship, his covenant with us. So let's start reading in verse 11 again. Look back at verse 11 with me. I want you to see this in the word. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, well, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, well, what's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Moses had two questions for God. Who am I? And who are you? And to be clear, Moses is not looking for information here. He's asking, how can I be sure that you're going to do what you say? What are you, what are you like? What kind of God are you? I mean, after all, God had just told this plain old shepherd to go back to Egypt where he was a fugitive from justice. He was a wanted man by himself and suddenly lead a million people out of slavery. I think I'd want some guarantees too, to be honest. I think you would too. Now, I'm not sure how Moses went from hiding his face in fear to arguing with God over his assignment, but here we are. And incredibly, God answers Moses not with impatience and anger, but with, with compassion for Moses' limitations as a human. God's, God's responses have nothing to do with Moses and who he is. They have everything to do with God. You know, in verse 12, Moses, God doesn't answer Moses, who am I question with a pep talk, right? Moses is like, who am I to go down to Egypt? God's like, oh man, Moses, you're great. You were educated in Egypt. 
you're a great man, you're handsome, you're powerful, you're going to do awesome. That's not what he tells him. Instead, he simply says, I will be with you. In verse 14, God answers, what is your name with, I am who I am. And there may be a hint of impatience here. Moses, I am who I am, and I do not need to explain myself to you. But then, but then God continues, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. What, what is God telling Moses about himself here? And what's he telling us about himself? So at this point, I'm going to nerd out on language for just a minute, and I'm sorry, but this is really important, so stick with me. Hang with me here. In verses 14 and 15, God uses a part of speech called a verb to identify himself. The words, I am, what our Bible translations show as, as Lord in all capital letters, these are Hebrew verbs. Lord's a translation of four continents, y, consonants, Y-H-W-H. We sometimes pronounce Yahweh, which means he is. We don't know how ancient Israelites pronounced it, but it's not, it's not super important. What's important is what the words tell us about God. If you asked me to describe my wife, Melanie, I'd say things like she's kind, she's caring, she's beautiful, she's patient. Those words are adjectives. To quote Schoolhouse Rock, adjectives are words you use to really describe things. You describe things with adjectives. A verb expresses action. Okay, did you hear that? A verb expresses action. Moses asked God to describe himself. Tell me what you're like. And God uses an action word. Not, I'm this or I'm that. I am. I exist. I am always present. Outside of space and time, a being who is always right now. God tells Moses that he will reveal who he is by what he does. You want to know what I'm like, Moses? I'm going to show you who I am by what I do. As one commentator writes, the identity of Yahweh doesn't hang on the meaning of the name, but on the demonstration of his character. Listen to that again. The identity of Yahweh doesn't hang on the meaning of his name, but on the demonstration of his character. God isn't going to tell Moses what he's like. He's going to show him. The bottom line here is that everything God does will show Moses that he is absolutely and without question going to keep his promises. And in fact, it's not just that he can keep them. It's his very nature to keep them. God, this God doesn't break his covenant ever. He does not ever break his guaranteed relationships with his people. One other thing to notice about how God identifies himself here, I think there's some back and forth with Moses. What if I tell him the God of your fathers sent me? God's like, no, 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 that's not who I said I was. I said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I'm the God of specific people 
and specific promises. He's telling Moses, you're in the middle of me keeping this promise right now. As Moses went back and told this to the people, it was meant to give them hope and courage. And as the people are standing on the Jordan River, ready to go into the promised land, this story is again meant to give them hope and courage. And we need that too. And we've got to get our hands around more than an abstract idea, right? The thought is, it's not just trust God and everything's going to work out for you. Okay, what's that mean? Israel had specific promises to count on. They had this promise to Abraham from Genesis 15. What do we have? Many years later, a messenger of God named Gabriel would announce the birth of a baby to an old man and a young girl, and they both sang songs about this covenant-keeping God. If you look at the first chapter of Luke, it's a great read later on today, both Zechariah and Mary worship God Blessed be God, they say, who has visited and redeemed his people to remember his holy covenant. It's Exodus language in the book of Luke. But what covenant are they talking about? They're thousands of years after God remembered this covenant and brought the people into the land. They're talking about a different covenant, a different guaranteed relationship that God promised to his people. And here's how it connects to us. This covenant that they were singing about is one that God has made with you if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted him this morning. The prophet Jeremiah tells us about this covenant in chapter 31 of his book. It's in the middle of your Bible, Jeremiah chapter 31. You can turn there if you'd like. Chapter 31, he starts in verse 33. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Relationship and forgiveness. That's the promise God has made to us, to his people on this side of the cross, on this side of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The Savior that Mary and Zechariah sang about would grow into a man. He would preach to crowds saying things like, I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Saying things like, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus left no doubt that he was Israel's God, sent to fulfill promises made millennia before. God's, God's promise of rescue was meant to sustain the Israelites through 400 years of slavery, of oppression, we need God's promises, too, to hang on to in the middle of our own suffering, in the middle of our own hardship, our own disappointment. It's, it's really important to know what God has promised us because if we're trying to hang on to something God hasn't promised us, we're going to be disappointed. God always keeps his promises on his timeline and his way. I love... I love how the Holy Spirit puts our, puts our services together. Tab's encouragement to us this morning, his prayer for people who, who were wondering, is God going to get me there? The song that we sang, his promises will last. Christ will hold me fast. But what promises are those? Too many things for me to list this morning. Um, I'd encourage you to meditate on this. 
And as you read your Bible, just notice, what has God promised me? What has he told me is true? What does he guarantee me to happen? But I do want to list just a few today. How about James 1.12? God promises us the crown of life after we endure trials. 1 John 2.25, God promises us eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. 2 Peter 3.13, God promises us a new heavens and a new earth. And these letters to the churches in the New Testament were, they kept bringing up God's promises. They were trying to fuel faith in God to hang on in what they were going through. How about Matthew 28? Jesus promised himself, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Sounds like Exodus 3, doesn't it? God says to Moses, go to Egypt. I will be with you. Jesus says to his people today, I will be with you always. Those are God's promises to hang on to, to cry out back to him day by day. I wanna invite Rick to come back up. <clears throat> the Lord's Supper service to prepare as we close our service. In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We'll remember together and experience together a physical reminder of our covenant-keeping God. As we close, let's remember the question we started with this morning. If I follow God, how can I trust that he will keep his promises? How can I be sure he will remember his covenant? We can be sure because he is the I am, the self-existing one whose very nature is to be true to his word. And we can be sure because I am came to earth as a man to redeem us from slavery to sin. And now, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Yeah, one part of the liturgy the church has used for centuries says, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And because that is true, sisters and brothers, because Christ will come again, we can know for certain that we can trust God, that he will keep his promises to us, that he will bring us safely to the promised land as he did his people so very long ago. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God who always keeps his promises, that you cannot help but do exactly what you have said you will do for us. Thank you for your great salvation that you have given through your son, Jesus. Help us to trust you and have confidence in you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.